0: Chapter 19 of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter 19. On the following day, the journey was performed, and it had been arranged that Gerard should rest on the subsequent one, the third being fixed for his attendance in the House of Lords sir boyville had been informed how sullenly that was the word they used the boy had received the information conveyed him by his tutor he would rather have been excused saying a word himself to his son on the subject but this account and the boy's request to see him forced him to change his purpose he did not expect opposition but he wished to give a right turn to gerard's expressions the sort of cold distance that separation and variance of feeling produce Rendered their intercourse little like the tender interchange of parental and filial love. Gerard, my boy, Sir Boyville began, we are both sufferers, and you, like me, are not of a race tamely to endure injury. I would willingly have risked my life to revenge the ruin brought on us, so I believe would you, child as you are, but the skulking villain is safe from my arm. The laws of his country cannot even pursue him, yet what reparation is left i must endeavour to get sir boyville showed tact in thus bringing forward only that party whose act none could do other than reprobate and who was the object of gerard's liveliest hatred his face lightened up with something of pleasure his eye flashed fire to prove to the world the guilt and violence of the wretch who had torn his mother from him was indeed a task of duty and justice a little more forbearance on his father's part had wound him easily to his will but the policy sir boyville displayed was involuntary and his next words overturned all your miserable mother he continued must bear her share of infamy and if she be not wholly hardened it will prove a sufficient punishment when the events of to-morrow reach her she will begin to taste the bitter cup she has dealt out so largely to others It were folly to pretend to regret that. I own that I rejoice. Every idea now suffered revulsion, and the stream of feeling flowed again in its old channels. What right had his father to speak thus of the beloved and honored parent he had so cruelly lost? His blood boiled within him, and despite childish fear and reverence, he said, If my mother will grieve or be injured by my appearing tomorrow, I will not go i cannot you are a fool to speak thus said his father a gallless animal without sense of pride or duty come sir no more of this you owe me obedience and you must pay it on this occasion you are only bid speak the truth and that you must speak i had thought notwithstanding your youth higher and more generous motives might be urged a father's honor vindicated a mother's vileness punished my mother is not vile cried gerard and there stopped for a thousand things restrain a child's tongue inexperience reverence ignorance of the effect his words may produce terror at the mightiness of the power with which he has to contend after pause he muttered i honour my mother i will tell the whole world that she deserves honour now gerard on my soul cried sir boyville roused to anger as parents too easily are against their offspring when they show any will of their own while they expect to move them like puppets on my soul my fine fellow i could find it in my heart to knock you down enough of this i don't want to terrify you be a good boy to-morrow and i will forgive all forgive me now father cried the youth bursting into tears forgive me and spare me i cannot obey you i cannot do anything that will grieve my mother she loved me so much i am sure she loves me still that i cannot do her harm i will not go to-morrow this is most extraordinary said sir boyville controlling as well as he could the rage swelling within him and are you such an idiot as not to know that your wretched mother has forfeited all claim to your affection and am i of so little worth in your eyes i your father who have a right to your obedience from the justice of my cause, not to speak of parental authority, am I nothing? To receive no duty, expect no service? I was indeed mistaken. I thought you were older than your years, and had that touch of gentlemanly pride about you that would have made you eager to avenge my injuries, to stand by me as a friend and ally, compensating, as well as you could, for the wrongs done me by your mother.' I thought I had a son in whose veins my own blood flowed, who would be ready to prove his true birth by siding with me. Are you stone or a base-born thing that you cannot even conceive what thing honor is? Gerard listened. He wept. The tears poured in torrents from his eyes. But as his father continued, and heaped many an opprobrious epithet on him, a proud and sullen spirit was indeed awakened. He longed to say abuse me strike me but i will not yield yet he did not speak he dried his eyes and stood in silence before his parent his face darkening and something ferocious gleaming in his eyes hitherto so soft and sorrowing sir boyville saw that he was far from making the impression he desired but he wished to avoid reiterated refusals to obey and he summed up at last with vague but violent threats of what would ensue exile from his home penury Starvation, the abhorrence of the world his own malediction and after having worked himself up into a towering rage and real detestation of the shivering feeble yet determined child before him he left him to consider and to be vanquished far other thoughts occupied gerard i had thought he has told me once or twice to throw myself into his arms and pray for mercy to kneel at his feet and implore him to spare me one kind word had made the struggle intolerable but no kind word did he say and while he stormed it seemed to me as if my dear mother were singing as she was used while i gathered flowers and played beside her in the park and i thought of her not of him the words kick me out of doors suggested but the idea i shall be free and i will find my mother i feel intensely now but surely a boy's feelings are far wilder far more vehement than a man's for i cannot now violent as you think me call up one sensation so whirlwind-like as those that possessed me while my father spoke thus as gerard described his emotions his father ordered him to quit the room and he went to brood upon the fate impending over him on the morrow early he was bid prepare to attend the house of lords his father did not appear he thought that the boy was terrified and would make no further resistance gerard indeed obeyed in silence he disdained to argue with strangers and hirelings he had an idea that if he openly rebelled he might be carried by force and his proud heart swelled at the idea of compulsion he got into the carriage and as he went mr carter who was with him thought it advisable to explain the forms and give some instructions Gerard listened with composure, nay, asked a question or two concerning the preliminaries. He was told of the oath that would be administered, and how the words he spoke after taking that oath would be implicitly believed, and that he must be careful to say nothing that was not strictly true. The colour, not an indignant blush, but a suffusion as of pleasure, mantled over his cheeks as this was explained. They arrived. They were conducted into some outer room to wait the call of the peers what tortures the boy felt as strangers came up some to speak and others to gaze all of indignation resolution grief and more than manhood struggles that tore his bosom during the annoying delays that always protract the sort of scenes none cared to scan he was there unresisting apparently composed if now his cheek flushed and now his lips withered into paleness if now the sense of suffocation rose in his throat and now tears rushed into his eyes as the image of his sweet mother passed across his memory none regarded none cared when i have thought of the spasms and throes which his tender and high wrought soul endured during this interval i often wonder his heart did not crack or his reason for ever unsettle as it is he has not yet escaped the influence of that hour it shadows his life with eclipse it comes whispering agony to him when otherwise he might forget some author has described the effect of misfortune on the virtuous as the crushing of perfumes so to force them to give forth their fragrance gerard is all nobleness all virtue all tenderness do we owe any part of his excellence to this hour of anguish if so i may be consoled but i can never think of it without pain he says himself Yes, without these sharp goadings, I had not devoted my whole life to clearing my mother's fame. Is this devotion a good? As yet no apparent benefit has sprung from it. At length he was addressed, Young gentleman, are you ready? And he was led into that stately chamber, fit for solemn and high debate, thronged with the judges of his mother's cause. There was a dimness in his eye, a tumult in his heart that confused him while on his appearance there was first a murmur then a general hush each regarded him with compassion as they discerned the marks of suffering in his countenance a few moments passed before he was addressed and when it was supposed that he had had time to collect himself the proper officer administered the oath and then the barrister asked him some slight questions not to startle but to lead back his memory by insensible degrees to the necessary facts The boy looked at him with scorn. He tried to be calm, to elevate his voice. Twice it faltered. The third time he spoke slowly, but distinctly. I have sworn to speak the truth, and I am to be believed. My mother is innocent. But this is not the point, young gentleman, interrupted his interrogator. I only asked if you remembered your father's house in Cumberland. The boy replied more loudly, but with broken accents. I have said all I mean to say. You may murder me. But I will say no more. How dare you entice me into injuring my mother? At the word, uncontrollable tears burst forth, pouring in torrents down his burning cheeks. He told me that he well remembers the feeling that rose to his tongue, instigating him to cry shame on all present. But his voice failed. His purpose was too mighty for his young heart. He sobbed and wept. The more he tried to control the impulse, the more hysterical the fit grew. He was taken from the bar and the peers moved by his distress came to a resolve that they would dispense with his attendance and be satisfied by hearing his account of the transaction from those persons to whom he made it at the period when it occurred i will now mention that the result of this judicial inquiry was a decree of divorce in sir boyville's favour gerard removed from the bar and carried home recovered his composure but he was silent revolving the consequences which he expected would ensue from disobedience his father had menaced to turn him out of doors and he did not doubt but that this threat would be put into execution so that he was somewhat surprised that he was taken home at all perhaps they meant to send him to a place of exile of their own choosing perhaps to make the expulsion public and ignominious the powers of grown-up people appear so illimitable in a child's eyes who have no data whereby to discover the probable from the improbable at length the fear of confinement became paramount he revolted from it his notion was to go and seek his mother and his mind was quickly made up to forestall their violence and to run away he was ordered to confine himself to his own room his food was brought to him this looked like the confirmation of his fears his heart swelled high they think to treat me like a child but i will show myself independent wherever my mother is she is better than they all if she is imprisoned i will free her or i will remain with her how glad she will be to see me how happy shall we be again together my father may have all the rest of the world to himself when i am with my mother in a cavern or a dungeon i care not where night came on he went to bed he even slept and awoke terrified to think that the opportune hour might be overpast. Daylight was dawning faintly in the east. The clocks of London struck four. He was still in time. Everyone in the house slept. He rose and dressed. He had nearly ten guineas of his own. This was all his possession. He had counted them the night before. He opened the door of his chamber. Daylight was struggling with darkness, and all was very still. He stepped out. He descended the stairs. He got into the hall every accustomed object seemed new and strange at that early hour, and he looked with some dismay at the bars and bolts of the house door. He feared making a noise and rousing some servant. Still the thing must be attempted. Slowly and cautiously he pushed back the bolts, he lifted up the chain. It fell from his hands with terrific clatter on the stone pavement. His heart was in his mouth. He did not fear punishment, but he feared ill success he listened as well as his throbbing pulses permitted all was still the key of the door was in the lock it turned easily at his touch and in another moment the door was open the fresh air blew upon his cheeks the deserted street was before him he closed the door after him and with a sort of extra caution locked it on the outside and then took to his heels throwing the key down a neighboring street when out of sight of his home he walked more slowly and began to think seriously of the course to pursue to find his mother all the world had been trying to find her and had not succeeded but he believed that by some means she would hear of his escape and come to him but whither go in the first instance his heart replied to cumberland to dromore there he had lived with his mother there had he lost her he felt assured that in its neighbourhood he should again be restored to her travelling had given him some idea of distance and of the modes of getting from one place to another he felt that it would be a task of too great difficulty to attempt walking across england he had no carriage he knew of no ship to take him some conveyance he must get so he applied to a hackney-coach it was standing solitary in the middle of the street the driver asleep on the steps the skeleton horses hanging down their heads with the peculiarly disconsolate look these poor hacked animals have gerard as the son of a wealthy man was accustomed to consider that he had a right to command those whom he could pay yet fear of discovery and being sent back to his father filled him with unusual fears he looked at the horses and the man he advanced nearer but he was afraid to take the decisive step till the driver awaking started up and shook himself stared at the boy and seeing him well dressed and he looked too older than his ears. From being tall, he asked, Do you want me, sir? Yes, said Gerard, I want you to drive me. Get in, then. Where are you going? I'm going a long way to Dromore. That is in Cumberland. The boy hesitated. It struck him that those miserable horses could not carry him far. Then you want me to take you to the stage, said the man. It goes from Piccadilly at five. We have no time to lose. Gerard got in, on they jumbled, and arriving at the coach office, saw some half-dozen stages ready to start. The name of Liverpool on one struck the boy by the familiar name. If he could get to Liverpool, it were easy afterward even to walk to Dromore. so getting out of the hackney coach, he went up to the coachman, who was mounting his box, and asked, Will you take me to Liverpool? yes my fine fellow if you can pay the fare how much is it drawing out his purse inside or outside from the moment he had addressed these men and they began to talk of money gerard calling to mind the vast disbursements of gold coin he had seen made by his father and the courier on their travels began to fear that his little stock would ill suffice to carry him so far and the first suggestion of prudence the little fellow ever experienced made him now answer whichever costs least outside then oh i have that i can pay you jump up then my lad lend me a hand here by me that's right all's well you're just in the nick we are off directly he cracked his whip and away they flew and as they went gerard felt free and going to his mother. Such, in these civilized times, are the facilities offered to the execution of our wildest wishes. The consequences, the moral consequences, are still the same, still require the same exertions to overcome them, but we have no longer to fight with physical impediments. If Gerard had begun his expedition from any other town, Curiosity had perhaps been excited, but in the vast, busy metropolis each one takes care of himself, and few scrutinize the motives or means of others. Perched up on the coach-box, Gerard had a few questions to answer. Was he going home? Did he live in Liverpool? But the name of Dromore was a sufficing answer. The coachman had never heard of such a place, but it was a gentleman's seat, and it was Gerard's home, and that was enough some day you must ask gerard to relate to you his adventures during this journey they will come warmly and vividly from him while mine as a mere reflex must be tame it is his mind i would describe and i will not pause to narrate the tantalizing cross-questioning that he underwent from a scotchman nor the heart heavings with which he heard allusions made to the divorce case before the lords a newspaper describing his own conduct was in the hands of one of the passengers he heard his mother lightly alluded to He would have leaped from the coach, but that was to give up all. He pressed his hands to his ears, he scowled on those around, his heart was on fire. Yet he had one consolation. He was free. He was going to her. He resolved never to mingle with his fellow creatures more. Buried in some rural retreat with his mother, it mattered little what the vulgar and the indifferent said about either. Some qualms did assail him should he find his dear mother where was she his childish imagination refused to paint her distant from dromore his own removal from that mansion so soon after losing her associated her indelibly with the mountains the ravines the brawling streams and clustering woods of his natal county she must be there he would drive away the man of violence who took her from him and they would be happy together a day and a night brought him to liverpool and the coachman hearing whither he wished to go deposited him in the stage for lancaster on his arrival he went inside this time and slept all the way at lancaster he was recognized by several persons and they wondered to see him alone he was annoyed at their recognition and questionings and though it was night when he arrived instantly set off to walk to dromore for two months from this time he lived wandering from cottage to cottage seeking his mother the journey from lancaster to dromore he performed as speedily as he well could he did not enter the house that would be delivering himself up as a prisoner by night he clambered the park railings and entered like a thief the domains where he had spent his childhood each path was known to him and almost every tree here he sat with his mother there they found the first violet of spring his pilgrimage was achieved but where was she his heart beat as he reached the little gate whence they had issued on that fatal night all the grounds bore marks of neglect and the master's absence and the lock of this gate was spoiled a sort of rough bolt had been substituted gerard pushed it back the rank grass had gathered thick on the threshold but it was the same spot how well he remembered it two years only had since passed he was still a child yet to his own fancy how much taller how much more of a man he had become besides he now fancied himself master of his own actions he had escaped from his father and he who had threatened to turn him out of doors would not seek to possess himself of him again he belonged to no one he was cared for by no one by none but her whom he sought with firm yet anxious expectation there he had seen her last he stepped forward he followed the course of the lane he came to where the road crossed it where the carriage drove up where she had been torn from him it was daybreak a june morning all was golden and still a few birds twittered but the breeze was hushed and he looked out on the extent of country commanded from the spot where he stood and saw only nature the rugged hills the green cornfields the flowery meads and the umbrageous trees in deep repose how different from the wild tempestuous night when she whom he sought was torn away he could then see only a few yards before him now he could mark the devious windings of the road and afar off distinguish the hazy line of the ocean he sat down to reflect what was he to do in what nook of the wide expanse was his mother hid that some portion of the landscape he viewed harboured her was his fixed belief a belief founded in inexperience and fancy but not the less deep-rooted he meditated for some time and then walked forward he remembered when he ran panting and screaming along that road he was a mere child then and what was he now a boy of eleven yet he looked back with disdain to the endeavours of two years before he walked along in the same direction that he had at that time pursued and soon found that he reached the turnpike road to lancaster he turned off and went by the cross-road that leads to the wild and dreary plains that form the coast the inner range of picturesque hills on the declivity of which Drawmore is situated is not more than five miles from the sea but the shore itself is singularly blank and uninteresting varied only by sand-hills thrown up to the height of thirty or forty feet intersected by rivers which at low water are fordable even on foot but which when the tide is up are dangerous to those who do not know the right track from the holes and ruts which render the bed of the river uneven in winter indeed at the period of spring tides or in stormy weather with a west wind which drives the ocean towards the shore the passage is often exceedingly dangerous and except under the direction of an experienced guide fatal accidents occur gerard reached the borders of the ocean near one of these streams behind him rose his native mountains range above range divided by tremendous gulfs varied by the shadows of the clouds and the gleams of sunlight close to him was the waste seashore the ebbing tide gave a dreary sluggish appearance to the ocean and the river a shallow rapid stream emptied its slender pittance of mountain water noiselessly into the lazy deep it was a scene of singular desolation on the other side of the river not far from the mouth was a rude hut unroofed and fallen to decay erected perhaps as the abode of a guide near it grew a stunted tree withered Moss covered, spectre like. The sand hills lay scattered around. The seagull screamed above and skimmed over the waste. Gerard sat down and wept, motherless. Escaped from his angry father, even to his young imagination, his fate seemed as drear and gloomy as the scene around. End of chapter 19.